Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn. Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by author of The Transparency Sale, speaker, trainer, and consultant, and MD at VentureScale, Todd Capone. And today we're going to be talking all about selling with transparency. Todd's going to be sharing his story about how he came to this idea of selling with transparency and the proof and the results that he's achieved since, what the reactions have been from those he sold to, and also the other benefits that you can gain from selling with transparency, particularly in this day and age with so much information available. He'll also be sharing the steps if you're listening to this, whether you're in a business or own a business, of how you can start to implement this within your approach, within your role. So if you work in the world of sales, or you run your own business and you're selling, this is going to be a real game changer for you in terms of how you approach your sales from here on in. So sit back and enjoy. Todd, welcome. How are you? Awesome. And thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. And, you know, really looking forward to this conversation and uh, looking forward to seeing what your thoughts are on what we're about to talk to you about today. Yeah, I'm always up for getting nerdy on some of these <laughs> topics around sales. So uh, let's do it. Yeah, good, good. So Todd, for people who are tuning in, uh, my listeners probably because everyone else in the world probably knows who you are, um, it'd be great <laughs> for you to, to give them a bit of a, an insight and a story of what makes you Todd. Wow, what makes me Todd? Well, I've yeah. been uh, a sales, a pretty decent sales rep for a while. Yeah, And then I had discovered about 15 years ago, just kind of a revelation that my skill was not for the sale. It was for the teaching and the learning. Like I wanted to be the guy that was looking in doorways for tips, techniques, ideas, while everybody else is busy running down the hallway actually selling, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I had, I had a long time ago, I, I did something insane. I took everything I owned and, and sold it and bought a sales training company. And uh, three years later, I basically, it, it was not very good. Like I wasn't good at it. Um, but on the back end, I ended up so much better at sales leadership and how to build selling organizations. So since 2006, I've been either the SVP of sales or CRO of four different tech companies uh, here in the United States. I'm from Chicago. Um, we took one, not only public, but we sold it for a little under $3 billion dollars. Um, and then I, my last role was CRO of a company called Power Reviews here in Chicago, which we grew between 2014 and 2017 into the fastest growing tech company in Chicago. But uh, I guess what I'm kind of known for is uh, another crazy move. I quit my job to write a book 
And the book is called The Transparency Sale. And it's about this kind of combination of decision science, behavioral science, and how transparency actually sells better than perfection. And I've been on the road speaking and doing workshops around that for the last uh, about a year and a half. And apparently the book is doing really, really well, too, which was, uh, in all honesty, a bit of a surprise. I I can't believe how great it's doing. But uh, that's me. And then the last piece I'll leave you with there is um, I am signing a contract with with a publisher right now to write my next book, which will be around kind of the behavioral science and transparency as it relates to sales leadership. And so, uh, so that's me. Interesting. So you know a thing or two about sales then? Yeah, I think it's more about, um, I, I feel like I know so much now about behavioral science yeah. and decision science. And those two pieces have yet to make their way aggressively into the sales world. So mm. I, being the nerd that I am, I spend a lot of time thinking about I read research studies on all of those pieces and then go, all right, where are the different elements of the sales world? You know, whether it's selling leadership, interviewing, recruiting, engagement, like all of those pieces. And and what are we getting wrong? And we're getting so many things wrong. I got plenty of things to write about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of things there I'd love to dive in with you today, particularly around this transparency piece, because I think, you know, as we spoke before, when you were talking about it in sales, we, we love to talk about presenting and selling on value and all the things that we're great at and why we're the best fit. But it's very rarely, if any companies doing it, it's doing it the other way. Is actually going, look, here's what we're not so good at. So I suppose to give people a bit of context around this, because some people might be sitting there going, what? That's crazy. Why would you Why would you be honest about what you're not going to do? Because your competition are going to gonna say they're going to do it. What, yep. Where did this come from? Like, where did this sort of initial thought process come from? What what happened? Was there some point in your career? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure all of your listeners have heard of a, a little company called Amazon.com. Um, you know, Amazon, back in the mid-90s, they, they were selling stuff online. But then they started this concept of having reviews of the products they're selling right next to the products. And, and not just perfect star reviews and you thought it sucked, you could go leave a review for every next person that comes to look at that book. They can see, oh, you know, Chris here hated it. Well, I always at the time thought that that was interesting because Amazon started that and was exploding with growth. And as you know, I moved on in my career, these last, you know, when I mentioned power reviews, I was the chief revenue officer of this company that what they do is what Amazon was doing back then. We were in business to help retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their websites, mm-hmm. right? So you're buying a pair of shoes and you look at reviews first. That was us that was helping with the collect and display. And so here's what happened. We did a research study with a local university, it's Northwestern University here in Chicago, that looked at, all right, when a website is acting as the salesperson, how do consumers interact how do they decide? What do they do? And so the first piece that popped out was no surprise that we as human beings, like we all look at reviews now, right? If, if the number they came up with was 96% of us will look at a review for a product we haven't bought before that is of medium to high consideration, meaning it's not a pack of gum. It's something that means something. Mm. But the two things that changed my life, right? And it goes back to this whole idea 
of Amazon is that 82% of us go right to the negative reviews first. So we don't need to read the five stars. We want to read what could go wrong. And again, this is when a website's acting as the salesperson. The second piece of this is that when a product has an average review score between a 4.2 and a 4.5, those products actually sell better than products that have any other review score averages, including a perfect five. So a 4.2 sells better than a five. So I looked at that and said, all right, there's something about the way our brains want to make decisions that are optimized when we have the negative right next to the positive, what would happen in a B2B or human-to-human environment? So I looked at the research, and then as a CRO, I didn't have many times that I could try it out because normally I had reps that were actually doing the positioning and the prospecting and the presenting and all of that. But when I did, it was magic what happened. So the brain science tells us that we are resistant to being influenced, right? And that we are actually trying to predict what our experience is going to be like with a product or service, which is why we look at the negatives first. In a human-to-human selling environment, it's exactly the same. As buyers, when we're going to spend some money, we want to know what's not going to work or what we might have some risk or what we might be trading off to get what you've got that's really, really good. And so when we in a selling environment actually lead with that and tell the, the prospect, hey, listen, these are the things that we might not be perfect at. Here's the things where our competitors might be better than us. But if you're cool with those things, then here's what we're fantastic at. And so it's when we do that, magic happens, right? We build trust immediately. It disarms the brain's resistance to influence. Mm-hmm. The second thing, though, is it speeds sales cycles dramatically. Because when you, as a salesperson, go in and present your products as perfect, The buyer is unable to predict their experience, so they go do homework beyond you, Mm -hmm. which is what extends sales cycles out and often ends in status quo deals, right, where the customer goes, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. When you're giving them all the information that they need to make a purchase, it's why purchases happen fast on a website. If you do that in human-to-human selling, you actually speed the brain's um, process for which they make a comfortable, confident decision. So you win more often. You win faster. And if you're going to lose, you lose faster, which is really the goal of everything, right? If you're going to lose, you want to lose fast. Leading with transparency is the fastest path to lasting trust, faster sales cycles, bigger wins, bigger win rates, and losing fast too. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of the data around it. But like the neuroscience is so interesting around it too. We we optimize for how the brain makes decisions when we do it that way. Yeah, and it was fascinating when when you were when you're talking about this uh, last week and. You know, you mentioned it at the start as to why it's more effective to sell transparently rather than perfectly. Because I think an, another thing, and this relates obviously to how the brain works, is that if you're trying to sell the perfect solution, no one can actually conceptualize what perfection looks like. You know, it's like that's why right. a lot of people don't yep. reach goals because they have this perfection versus satisfaction mindset, and that you can't actually visualize what perfection is. You just know you're not there yet. And if someone is trying to sell you it, you can't physically understand. Like, what does that actually look like? What is it? Um, and, you know, we're all, particularly nowadays, I think people are becoming a lot more wise, not just because of the information out there, but because of the experiences people have gone through to, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And that kind of like mindset, as you say, will often probably kick in when something is being presented to you thinking, this person 
is just wanting to sell to me. Like this doesn't make sense. And it, a lot of it probably comes down to the relationships you build as well. Um, because if you do have those, those kind of relationships with people, you can be very honest, as you say, as to once you've understood their challenges, this is how we can help these challenges, but we can't help those. And it stops, you know, signing people up and going through them using your product or solution, then going, it didn't work or this didn't happen. And you being like, well, you kind of knew that in the first place. So why didn't you say something? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely, when you when you start with transparency, when I say transparency, I don't mean walk into your ne- next sales prospect and say, hey, this is why we suck. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. that's not the point. The point is to say, hey, listen, you've got options. As a buyer, You obviously, you're looking at us, you're looking at our competitor. You know, the, the one, the first time I tried this in a B2B environment, I actually led with why our competitors beat us. Mm. Um, and so we had a, a one competitor that had just released an add-on uh, technology that was, I was walking into an apparel um, manufacturer, um, apparel brand, and our competitor had just released an add-on and their first customer with the add-on was an apparel brand. So I knew our competitor was going to walk in and pitch them on that and, and tell that story. So when I walked into the selling environment, I, I, there was a whole room full of people that were geared up for my pitch. And instead of going into my pitch, I said, hey, listen, before you invest a lot of time in this evaluation, I mean, you've told us you're going to do an RFP. You're going to have a whole, you know, these teams fly up and do a full presentation for you. It, it would be helpful for me to help not only make you aware of this, but to help allocate my own resources by telling you something that our competitor does really well in the apparel space. And if that's going to be important to you, let's vet that now. If it's going to be super important to you, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not something that we have and it's not even on our roadmap. Mm. So let's talk through it. And so I did. And you could feel when I said that the whole room kind of disarmed a bit. And then they ended up debating about whether or not this would be important to them. They came to the conclusion that it was not, or if it was, it wouldn't be for a few years. And um, then when I switched into, hey, well, this is, you know, we're not going to be good at that, so we can be great at our core. And here is that. Literally, the sales cycle ended 10 days later. Instead of what normally is a six-month sales cycle, we closed this deal in under six weeks. And in our favor, and they threw out the RFP and they threw out the presentation that they were going to have everybody do mm. because I, you know, right from the get go, I was telling them, here's what you're not going to like. Here's what you're going to like. Here's a couple of websites. You can check out other companies that are using it. And, uh, now it's up to you. And it, it, it's magic the way that works. It's, uh, it's something that as buyers, we all need to understand what are we giving up to be great at our core? Mm. I'm sorry, as sellers. Um, because to your point, none of us is perfect. None of us does all things for all people and our competitors wouldn't be in business if they suck, yeah. right? There's gotta be something good about them. So help the buyer make their decision. That's what your job is as a salesperson to Sherpa the buyer through their journey. And if you can give them all the information, just like a website does when you're buying a refrigerator or whatever, um, you help the buyer, you build trust, and you speed their ability to make decisions. Simple as that. Yeah, and I think as another big benefit from it as well is that you can, if you are being very transparent with what you're not good at, you can ensure that it doesn't get blown out of proportion. Because if you don't, sometimes your competitors will say it, but then it won't come from your mouth. So they might exacerbate it and make it seem bigger than it is. Because yeah. if you've talked about it already, 
people can then be like, oh, actually, do you know what? Because bad customers and buyers will cotton on if someone's bad mouthing someone. But if you told them the, the context behind it, they can then see, oh, this person's not only bad mouthing them, they're also blowing things out of proportion from what they've actually said. Well, I'll tell you, there's two things there. So first of all, that apparel one, it was funny because when they made the decision to go with us, they called our competitor. Yeah. And uh, he, the, the buyer told me that the competitor went right into a pitch on that add-on <laughs> yeah. and how this other, and, and he had to stop them. He was like, I know, I know all about it. We've already talked about it. So you're right, completely undercut that. But the other thing that made me writing the book so urgent is not just the brain science around transparency, but it's the proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything we do, everything we buy, everything we experience. So whether or not it's a competitor that's positioning against you, as a buyer, you're likely going to go do a web search. You're going to talk to your peers that maybe have experience in your product category. Depending on what you sell, there might be analysts or partners or agencies that have opinions on all of this. And they know they're going to share this type of stuff. So if you can get out in front of it and say, you know, as a seller, part of our role is to empathize with the journey that a buyer is going to go through, right? Do your homework, act like you would be a buyer, go do Google search and say, pop in, what is it like to work with and write in my, you know, my company, right? Go to Glassdoor. The buyers are looking at Glassdoor reviews now, which are where employees, current and former, are able to leave their opinions about what it's like to work at your company. Like buyers are actually looking at that because they're trying to predict not only what the experience is going to be like with your products or services, but what your their experience is going to be like with your people mm. too. So start understanding what are the negative things that buyers could potentially find and then craft your 4.2 to 4.5 messaging around that and lead with it. And so when they go do their homework and find that it matches exactly what you just said, that's when the speed, the sales cycle speed up. That's when trust explodes and where your win rates go way up. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing, but you've got to understand that the buyer's information that they're learning about your products and services is not any longer just coming from you and your competitors. It's coming from vast amounts of resources that are out there for the taking for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think two other, two other big things that kind of stand out to me when you're talking about that as well is you, be, as you talked about, you win faster, but you become a lot clearer on your ideal customer and who exactly yeah. fits you. And then you can get a lot clearer in those initial conversations of being like, actually, do you know what, rather than thinking we're trying to sell everything to everyone and therefore you're nothing to no one is just being very clear from the off and that will help you shape your marketing strategy and your sales strategy as well because by being honest about these things that and people actually going oh no that's not for me then you can get an idea of who doesn't buy from you as much as who does well yeah if you're going to lose lose fast right and the the analogy that i always make that would probably resonate is you know is the furniture retailer ikea Mm -hmm. right i and i'm i'm assuming that you've been to one or at least you've heard about it, but you know, Ikea is now the, for the ninth straight year, the largest furniture retailer in the world. So they, and you know, as somebody who had to buy my children's bedroom furniture there, Mm -hmm. like I couldn't believe it, but at its core, I mean, you think about it, you, you, it's hard to find stuff. Once you do, you actually have to write down the code or take a picture of it with your phone because you have to go to the warehouse yourself to pull the giant boxes off shelves onto a cart that doesn't have brakes, jam it into your car, 
get it home, assemble it, hundreds of parts that have no words on the work instructions, yeah. and you know, f bomb your way through that, and then you know, the last when that when we did that, we bought the bedroom furniture. When we got done, I had like a souvenir injury injury or two. We got done, and my wife's like, "Hey, we we probably should have gotten the end tables that go with it. Go back." We're like. It's crazy how terrible the experience is, but Ikea doesn't hide any of that, mm. right? They tell the world, we're not going to be good at these things so that we can be great at giving you modern Scandinavian design furniture that you didn't pay much for. And if you walk into an Ikea right now and say, hey, listen, I need a salesperson to help me design my room. I'm going to need this delivered, assembled to my house. They're going to say, congratulations, go to the full service furniture retailer because that's not mm. us. Right. And, and that's the way that we all have to think about it is what is our, you know, pick it, pack it onto a cart, jam it into our car and assemble it. And what is our modern Scandinavian design furniture do you pay much for? Right. Like every organization should think about that internally and go, what are we giving up to be great at our core? Mm, yeah. So for how, how would you suggest or how did you go about this or how would you advise organizations or even salespeople listening to this or small businesses? Thinking, we want to adopt this approach into our business. What are the, what are the things, the first few steps they need to do? Yeah. So I think, well, the first thing is I'm going to impart the wisdom of a supermodel, um, Tyra Banks. She coined a term called flossom, mm -hmm. F L A W S O M E, uh, which means to embrace your flaws, but know that you're still awesome. Every organization has got to come to the realization, like you said, Chris, that we are not perfect. We are not all things to all people, but we don't suck, right? Flossum is really a great word for embodying that four, two to four, five, that we've got to understand where our flaws are uh, and then make sure that we start to lead with those. So, you know, it's kind of like step one is acceptance that you're not perfect, mm -hmm. right? Step two, though, is simply just go act like a buyer and go find out what am I going to find as a buyer if I was evaluating us, right? And go find out all the pros and cons and start to collect those, right? It's, you know, if you're in tech, uh, there's sites like g2.com, trustradius.com that collect and display ratings and reviews on tech, right? Um, Glassdoor is a great one to look at. See what people are saying that are both positive and negative. Um, that, that, you know, do that. Also, go through your wins and your losses. Find out why companies have bought from you and why you've lost. Like, what are the real main reasons? What are the things that customers are perceiving that you don't have? Um, and just like go do a full win loss analysis, especially on the losses, and figure out you know where you fall short. Look at your customers that have left you. So if you've had long term customers that left. Why? Like, get down to the core. Take all of that information, and this is why. Um, I, I typically don't suggest that salespeople just start willy nilly coming up with their messaging, but this becomes a real strong task for marketing, mm. right? The marketing organization curating all of that information and then putting together the messaging that says, Hey, listen, we're not going to be great at these things. So we can be great at this. Or let's say that three years ago, you and your company had something happen, right? Where, system went down, let's say you're a retailer and your system went down during the holidays, right? That's probably all over the web. Um, it's probably good to pull that information down and it's not a bad idea to address it 
to your prospects and say, hey, when you go do your research, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, you're going to find this. We did have a big issue that came up three years ago. And here's what we learned from it and how we got better. But I just wanted to know you're going to let you know you're going to find that out there. Mm. Like that builds some serious trust. And, you know, if you're trying to hide your flaws, customers can see that and trust erodes. Like every interaction that you have with a potential customer, you're either building trust or eroding it. You're not keeping it the same. Yeah. And so you just got to go out. So step one is, you know, acknowledging the fact that you're not perfect. Step two is to go do your homework like a buyer. Find out what you'd find, both pro and con, and then work with your marketing departments to figure out what that Flossom 4.2 to 4.5 messaging is going to be, and then start practicing it. Mm. Um, Like we didn't have it perfect right out of the gate, but I'm telling you, each of the first three times we tried it, like sales cycle magic happened. It was amazing. But, you know, that's cycle speeding up, the win rates going up. It was uh, was pretty cool. And so I finally was like, I've got to get this out. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting in a Starbucks writing a book. Yeah. And I, you probably will allude to this in, in the, um, well, quite a lot into the leadership piece around this is that you know, when you're doing this exercise, salespeople can can look at this in their own self, not just what they sell, but how, how they come across and what their strengths are and what they're not so great at. And I suppose when it comes to managing a team as well and developing a team and, and being a manager, there's a lot of stuff here that you can transition into that as well. Yeah, I mean, the leadership stuff, it's so interesting around um, the old school leadership um, methodologies that still exist. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you like two little nuggets here to think about. You know, number one is when we think about motivation, there has always been this prevailing thought that sales reps are coin operated. Like I, I remember a time where I had a leader tell me, if a sales rep is not money motivated, I don't want them. And while, yeah, you've got to be motivated by money to a certain extent, if your variable compensation plans are what you're using to motivate sales reps, you're doing it wrong. That what really drives sales reps, drives all of us to do our best is found intrinsically, right? An intrinsic motivation I, it's something it's I, it's called the I, I coined this term, but it's uh, the six F's of sales engagement. And basically, there's six different feelings that drive us to want to do our best every day when we show up at work. Compensation is one sixth of it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fairness, right? Like, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the effort that we put out in terms of our time, our resources worth what we get back in terms of pay? And am I getting paid fairly? Are there politics in that? Like that's that's just one sixth of it. But the reason we show up every day is, you know, first of all, is we want feedback, right? We want to be validated, recognized with status. Um, we want people to recognize our good effort, right? Um, so that's that's the kind of the second F. So if the first F is fairness, which is the pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the second F is feedback. The third F is forecast. And that's where transparency really comes in. And what I mean by forecast is when we wake up in the morning, we do our best when we're able to predict what our experience is going to be like during the day, right? So if you've got an inconsistent sales leader that you work for, yeah. um, and they're, that actually is crazy making for the brain and lowers the IQ of the people that are working for you while they're in it, which is hilarious. Um, the, the fourth one is freedom, right? The reason that uh, we do our best at work is when we have autonomy, 
We're in control. We're trusted. It, it's why micromanagement doesn't work. Uh, micromanagement kind of degrades freedom and degrades engagement. Uh, the fifth one is family. Like we want to be a part of a team, a part of something. We want to have each other's back. It's kind of a, a, a reptilian safety thing too, that if we feel like we're a part of a team, a group, a pack, we do better. Mm-hmm. And then the sixth one is function, which is, am I working for a purpose? Like what my company does or what I do every day really matters. It's not just, you know, selling something, it's making somebody's life better. And so when you optimize for all six of those, you get engagement and the comp is only a very small piece of that. And transparency is a big piece of that, sharing your model, but making sure that people can predict what their lives are going to be like there, that things are fair, that they've got freedom, that their function in life matters. So it's all those pieces together. But I, I just, again, I could nerd out on this stuff all day, but the leadership stuff is super important. Yeah, well, I'll be one of the first people on your um on getting on your book, giving you a uh, 4.2 to 4.5 rating. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the other piece around it is, you know, you and I, when we talked last week, we talked about data. Yeah. Right. We, and we talked about how people and companies misuse data. So there'll be a research study that comes out that says, um, hey, the I think it was Topo that came out with a study that said that on average, it takes a, um, a rep 18 touches before a prospect will have a conversation with you. Mm. And so the, the thing that we had talked about is, what do you do with that data? Well, there's two things you can do. Number one, and I'll give you the hint, number one is the wrong way to think about it is, well, if it takes 18 touches, then we better call everybody 18 times. Yeah. But the right way to think about it is, why? Why are our prospects avoiding us 17 times and finally going, crap, I got to answer the phone. Otherwise, this person's never going to leave me alone. Mm. Right. And then can we optimize it for it so that instead of it being 18 unwanted calls, it becomes a smaller number of wanted calls. What can we do to butter them up, to give them a feeling that, hey, we're we're giving to them, we're giving, we're making them smarter. And so when they pick up the phone, they see value instead of the resistance to influence. Right. So there's things like that. There's things like this four, two to four, five Mm. that when we say that a four, two to four, five sells better than a five, well, on our review scores, maybe we need some negative reviews to get our average down, right? Or that that's the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to think about, right, why does a four, two to four, five actually sell better? And how can we frame and message our products and services as though we're imperfect because it actually aids the buyers, right? Yeah. So artificially inflating or deflating review scores is not the way to do it. The way to do it is to think about how the brain makes decisions, optimize for that. And then when you get a negative review on your glass door or whatever site it is, embrace it, mm-hmm. right? That's a good thing because that actually helps buyers predict what their experience is going to be like. Yeah. And I think on that point of questioning, always questioning why for data, you look at the biggest disruptors in recent history you know you're like your ubers your spotify airbnbs netflix and you think that's what they did they didn't come along and go this is the data this is what people like or, or it's happening right now they thought well why is that how do we how do we simplify that how do we make it better? yeah it, exactly exactly it's it's thinking about and that that's why i believe that salespeople like you got to read you got to continue to get better at what you do 
But I think that the sellers that actually understand behavioral and decision science are the ones that really succeed, right? Because you've got to understand why things happen. Why is it that if you're selling a big solution, so, you know, like a, a multi-buyer, longer sales cycle, you know, like the one data point I saw was that the average sales cycle for uh, transactions over $100,000 is six months. Mm-hmm. And you can look at that and go, all right, six months. So we should prepare for that. We should put together, you know, a decision plan with a customer that's six months long. And Or do you think, why is it taking six months? Yeah. Like. Like, is there a way that we can help a buyer make a faster decision? And maybe we should optimize for that. And like, what are they not comfortable with for the first five and a half months? Um, and so it's just like, get yourself out of your ruts of looking at data and going, help, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And going, why is it that way? And is there something we can do that will help be on the top end of those, you know, those averages versus just trying to be average? Yeah. For sure, sure. So, so Todd, for your, throughout your career so far and up until this point then, or even your life really, what do you think you've learned most about yourself through all this? Um, wow, that's a deep question. I like it. Um, <laughs> what I've learned most about myself is that I, <laughs> I, I can't stop learning. Like I've just, um, I think with all of us, this was another uh it was a, a quote that I saw a long time ago, and it made a difference for me, is that if you're not busy getting smarter, you're busy getting dumber, <laughs> right? Um, but like for me, I always have looked at um, everything and been somebody who like tries to question the status quo and try to go, hey, the, the way everybody's always done things is not the way that I want to take. And so you know, back when I, at the beginning of the call, when you asked about my background and, you know, 2003, I quit my job. I sold everything I had and I bought a sales training company and I was just a kid. Like I had no business doing that, but I knew that on the back end, either the business would succeed and I would do it forever or the business would fail, but I'd be better for mm. it. And it turned out that that was the case. And, and when that happened, that kind of changed my framework on the way that I thought about everything, right? Mm-hmm. The jobs I take, um, that the risk that I take is this for me, what I learned is that I just, I've got a real thrill for the learn and the risk and knowing that if you get comfortable with what the worst case is that can happen, then the sky's the limit. But even when I bought that company, I knew if the business failed, I'd be better for it. When I wrote the book, I literally, and this is not me just being humble, I, I wrote the book, but I'd never written a book before. I figured there was a 50-50 shot that the book would suck. Yeah. And if it sucked, the worst case is that I have accomplished something I've always wanted to do, which was to write a book. Mm. And uh, and then best case is it catches fire and I build a business around it. And it turns out it's been the best case. But getting comfortable with risk, getting cu- com- comfortable with worst case, and then always be learning. It's just kind of how I've chosen to optimize my life, and I've never been happier. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was going to ask you what what's made you successful this far, and you kind of alluded to it there. But from an observation, from you know speaking to you, and obviously being connected to you on LinkedIn and, and seeing what others are talking about, is that I think you have a very good kind of like an infinite game of mindset. I don't know if you've ever seen that that talk from Simon Sinek around the finite gamer versus infinite gamer. 
I have not, but I I think I need to go check yeah, it out. It's, it's fascinating because, and I'll explain a bit more. I have on a previous pod, but um, you know, you can never stop learning about this, I think. But um, the Simon Sinek talks about this in that life, a lot of us perceive uh, life as a finite game in that there's a win and there's a loss. Whereas an infinite game is there is no end result. There is just ups and there's downs. And, um, you know, he talks about Windows and Apple as a classic example in that Apple is a infinite gamer because their purpose is wanting to make the world a better place through their technology. Whereas Windows will quite often mention Apple in their um, ads, in their promotional materials, in their talks, because they believe they're in a finite game. They believe they're in competition with someone. There must be a winner. There must be a loser. Um, and, you know, there's there's examples of this so through like history, through like war, for example, like the Vietnam War, where America were in a finite game versus Vietnam were an infinite game, is that people in a finite game will often stop and lose because they run out of resources. But people in an infinite game will carry on because they know there's a bigger purpose. And when you win within an infinite game of mindset, you know you're not always going to be in that space. So when you lose it, you're not like, oh, my God, where did it go? And when you lose, you're not like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. And, and what makes me say that is that when you've talked about these crazy ideas is that you haven't just looked at that as, right, this doesn't work out, it's, I'm done for, is that you've seen the, the game beyond that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's yeah, it's awesome. Like, it, that's, like I've almost got a tear in my eye because that's perfect. Like I, and I think about that um, not only, like when you talk about, you know, following me on LinkedIn or my blog or anything like that, there's there's individuals out there in this kind of space that are like, well, I don't want to give my good stuff up because mm-hmm. that's what they pay me for. But to your point, I, I just like throw all my stuff out there. I want if, if in the end everybody is better at their professions, they're more successful. The sales, the reputation of the sales profession gets better. The leaders get better at creating great environments for sellers so that not only do they succeed but they're happy if I've done that, who cares about the money? Like it's, it's just, that's a successful life and that's what makes me happy. And, uh, and so I'm just constantly thirsting for this kind of stuff. And I think what you just talked about with Simon Sinek is spot on. I think I've accidentally fallen into that, uh, that kind of mindset, which is awesome. Mm, Definitely. Definitely. Well, Todd, you know, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me. As you can tell, I could nerd out about this stuff all day. So uh, if we if we have to do a second one, I'm all in, brother. I think we will. I think we will. And and for for people who are who, who is, this is the first time coming across you, Todd, how can they how can they connect with you? Where are the best places? Well, uh, I do share a lot of my nonsense on <laughs> LinkedIn, so you can follow me or connect. If you connect with me, just let me know where you heard me. Uh, that makes it a lot easier for me to decide. Um, but uh, the book is called The Transparency Sale. It's on Amazon or pretty much anywhere you buy books. And then um, my blog is just at transparencysale.com. If you want to subscribe there, I share a lot of stuff, uh, at least on a weekly basis, sometimes even more. So, But I'd love to be connected with anybody who is up for it. Great. Well, thank you again, Todd. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. Welcome. And for everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'll catch you soon. Hey people, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. That's www.notanothersalesguy.com. Stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well. But for now... 
Have a good one and I'll catch you soon.